Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and that's starting at verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach, you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Um, Good morning, my name is Simon Potter, I'm one of the the pastors here at Trinity Hills. Um, While I'm just sorting myself myself out up here, please do dig out in your leaflets, there is a a handout, and I want to see who can can pick out the deliberate mistake. Have a a look at that, that handout and see what you can find. Anyone found it? Michelle? We probably shouldn't be chasing immorality. Um, you know, Kez, um, Cameron goes away for a weekend. You know, what can we preach on? Um, but no, it is, as the screen says, chasing immortality. This morning, um, please do keep the leaf out in your Bibles. Um, sort of lead us through where we're going. I met a traveller from an antique land who said to vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. 
round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Ozymandias by Percy Shelley. Um, I don't know how many of you did that poem at school, um, but it's a poetic testament to the passage of time and the fleetingness of our human attempts to make a mark under the sun. The mighty Ozymandias, king of kings, calling us to look on his great works, none of which remain. Instead of despairing at the power and might of this once great king, we're actually reminded of the despair that even the mighty and their works pass away and return to dust. And does this not echo the message of the teacher, the the writer of the main part of the book of Ecclesiastes, who's been showing us that power, relationships, our works, pleasure, wisdom, even spirituality, are hevel, that Hebrew word that can be translated as vanity, breath, vapor, or meaningless. Meaningless, 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 meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The teacher begins, he, he ends with those words that he began the whole book with. And this is the last in our series of sermons looking at this fascinating book. Although, on initial reading, perhaps Ecclesiastes doesn't appear to be a whole barrel of laughs. I hope for you, if you've been to a few of these sermons, I hope it has not been meaningless for you. Um, I personally found it fascinating how many of these themes that the teacher looks at are so relevant to our lives today. Indeed, as the teacher tells us, there is nothing new under the sun. And I wonder which one of these themes that we've looked at has had most impact for you. And today, we find ourselves at the end of the book and at the end of the series of sermons. This is where we're going to be going. We're going to be looking at an idea of the cult of youth. We're going to look at the gathering storm and look at who could be the mortal immortal and then think about meaningful remembrance. Now, you get to this point in the book of Ecclesiastes and you get the sense that the teacher himself realises that his quest to find meaning for, for the good life has pretty much come to nothing. And the best he can suggest is to live for the moment and to try and enjoy life now, however old we are. In chapter 11, just before the, the chapter we read, he says, however many years anyone may live, Let them enjoy them all. It's kind of carpe diem, isn't it? Seize the day. Make the most of every moment. But he also has that wisdom, particularly for the young. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eye sees. Isn't that? familiar in our society today. Particularly in Western society, we affirm and promote youth and we flee aging and death. 
millions of dollars are put each year into quests to remain young and healthy, into cosmetics, hair treatments, diet and exercise. We want thicker, shinier hair because we're worth it. We want a cleaner complexion, more ripped abs, less grey, less wrinkles, stronger bones, more flexible joints. We want our livers detoxed and less aches and pains. It's that searching for a fountain of youth, an elixir that will keep us young. And this isn't a new thing. You may recognise these two gentlemen, Roger Daltrey from The Who, who sang, Hope I Die Before I Get Old, and Mick Jagger, What a Drag It Is Getting Old. Of course, this is them today. But we, we revere those people like James Dean, Heath Ledger and Kurt Cobain, those whose light, bind, whose light burns twice as bright but for half as long. And isn't there a little bit in each of us who kind of longs to live for the moment without thinking of the consequences, who would rather make a mess but not have to worry about clearing up? Isn't there a part of us that would just love to grab immediate pleasure without any long-term commitments? We, we want to remain in that state of being forever young, an American TV uh, personality, the gentleman on the, the left, Andy Rooney, said, it's paradoxical that the idea of living a long life appeals to everyone, but the idea of getting old doesn't appeal to anyone. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And there is that awkwardness that kind of surrounds the elephant in the room, that is death. The Indianapolis 500 is one of the world's most famous motor racing events. There's a, a two and a half mile oval circuit where cars travel at over 200 miles an hour, inches away from solid concrete walls. And through the years, there's been 40 drivers who've lost, lost their lives through accidents and yet, never has a driver been pronounced dead at the racetrack. A trip to the museum there has no memorial to any of these, these drivers. There's not even a mention. So, no wonder we cling to the fountain of youth. It is perhaps the, the most, the, the ultimate fleeting vapour that is passing away in, in each of our lives. We're all ageing and we're all going to die. And the teacher recognises this. Maybe it is perhaps the reason for all our searching for meaning and purpose, our chase for that good life. We want something perhaps to distract us from that truth or we want something to leave behind that will live on when age catches up with us. Whatever we achieve, death brings it all to an end. And in light of this truth, despite his encouragement to live for the day, the teacher is aware of this. In chapter 3, he ponders, 
Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upwards and the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And in verse, in chapter 12, the teacher gives three collections of vivid, poetic images to illustrate the aging process. And the first is found in the first two verses. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. He likens ageing to this storm that is continually buffeting him. You know, clouds are still there even after the, the storm has gone. There's no let up. The second collection of images is of a house and its garden and its inhabitants kind of being run down and decaying. See that in verses 3 to 5. He describes it when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. The thought is that each of these elements refer to the ageing of different parts of the body. The keepers of the house are, are trembling arms. The strong men stooping are the legs of the body. The grinders unable to continue because they're fewer teeth falling out, doors closed, ears becoming hard of hearing. The description of rising at the sound of birds is description of light sleep during old age. Songs growing faint are weak vocal cords. The almond blossom is a metaphor for white hair. And the grasshopper with no spring in his step is a lack of desire. In 1846, the former U.S. President John Quincy Adams suffered a stroke. Although he returned to Congress the following year, his health was apparently failing. And a gentleman called Daniel Webster described his last meeting with Adams. Someone, a friend of his, came in and made particular inquiry of his health. Adams answered, I inhabit a weak, frail, decayed tenement battered by the winds and broken in upon by the storms. And from all I can learn, the landlord does not intend repairs. So after that, the, the, the final collection of images is around precious items. He, he describes as people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered 
at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground from when it, ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So these images of precious shattered items are particularly relevant because they're connected apparently to the practice of collecting, gathering and then serving the water of life. Of course, the, our ageing and the approaching death highlights for us in stark fashion the truth of the cause of that ageing and death, sin. In Genesis 3, we learn of how man is driven away from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden following the fall. Humanity's days are now terminally and tragically both separated from God and limited in length. Moses recognised this, writing Psalm 90. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if strength endures. Yet the best of them are but troubles and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. The teacher also reckons that judgment is also coming. Again, in Chapter 11, that verse that I pointed out um, to enjoy the days of our youth is followed by the warning that, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The editor of the book of Ecclesiastes um, in verse 12 also confirms this. You may have noticed there's a change of voice halfway through chapter 12. He reminds us that God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So, no wonder we chase youth. We're ageing, we're going to die, and then face judgment. It's all meaningless. Yet, despite the inevitability of death, we still feel there's something wrong about it, don't we? It's not just the pain of physical decline, nor the pain of those who are left behind, which is significant. I think humanity knows this. there's something about death that is not the way our lives are meant to be. This is something that the writer, teacher, has picked up in chapter 3. He writes, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart yet no one can fathom what god has done from beginning to end but yet the writer of ecclesiastes is wrong here someone has fathomed what god has done from beginning to end and that someone is jesus christ god's word who was in the beginning who was with God and was God, Jesus, through whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made that has been made. He is the mortal immortal. In chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, the teacher says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new. It was here already long ago. 
it was here before our time. Well, yes and no. You see, Jesus has done something new. But he was there already, long, long ago. He was there before creation and will remain long after this world has been made new. The immortal immortal, Jesus, submitted himself to a life under the sun for our sake. The immortal Jesus, giver and sustainer of life, he was born. He grew up for 30 odd years. He aged during that time. He suffered and then submitted himself to take the full penalty for our sin and to die for us. And yet in his death, he defeated death. Three days later, he rose again. And of course, in Christ, resurrection follows crucifixion. Glory follows suffering and life follows death. Jesus promises that whoever believes in him will be raised with him. Now, we're not promised that we will remain forever young or will be free from pain and suffering. But he does promise that death is not the end of the story. Death has now lost its sting. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ, we know that death is not the end, but the final birth. Because of Christ, we know that death is not extinguishing the light from the Christian. It's putting out the lamp because dawn has come. Because of Christ, we know that death is not the final chapter, but the end of the first chapter of a never-ending story. Because of Christ, we know that death leads us from a life of struggles, pain and injustice to an existence where God has promised to be with his people forever and to wipe away every tear. Chasing eternity in our humanness under the sun is meaningless. It's, it's breath, it's vapour. But Jesus, the creator God, the giver of life, also breathes life into us. That word, chevel, translated as meaningless, is a fleeting, disappearing vapour. But there is another Hebrew word for breath that is ruach. That is the breath of life, the eternal spirit that hovered over the water at creation, the breath that breathes life into dry bones and brings new life to dead people. The teacher tells us to remember our creator in the days of our youth, to focus our minds on the one who creates and sustains and brings life into reality. So how do we do this in a meaningful way? Stephanie Meyer, the author of the Twilight series, um, a series of book about immortal vampires, writes, 
When you can live forever, what do you live for? Those of us who know Christ and live in Christ, we should be asking ourselves that question. How do we live knowing that eternity starts now, today? Do we live and speak as if we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do we live and speak as if we really believe that we too will rise from the dead? So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why remember? Well, as you get older, you probably notice that you tend to forget things. You'll be talking to someone at a party and you'll know you know this person But no matter how hard you try, you just can't remember his or her name. And this can be very embarrassing, especially if he or she turns out to be your spouse. Um, Who else here can relate to these cartoons? For those listening on the CD, you have the picture of the dinosaurs standing on an outcrop of rock surrounded by water with an ark disappearing into the distance. Oh dear, was, was that today? Or... Or the woman searching around through her things, talking on the phone, going, I've got to go. I can't find my cell phone anywhere. Who kind of feels they've been there or somewhere close? We need to remember our creator because we so easily forget, don't we? It's why daily prayer, personal Bible reading, worship, fellowship and service in a local church is so important. They help us remember our creator. John Newton, John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, which we sung this morning, at the end of his life said, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. May we remember that. But why remember our creator? We remember, his, we remember he is our creator because he is the source of life. Today is the day to praise the God who made you. Celebrate the gifts God has given you. Whatever capacity of reason you have, whatever skill in communicating, whatever creativity in the music and the arts, whatever rigour in science, whatever strength in athletics, whatever heart for friendship, whatever compassion for people in need. These are all gifts from your creator God. Let us praise him for making us who we are and use those gifts in his service. We remember our creator because he's our saviour. Remembering him and turning to him. Sometimes you could describe that as repentance turning away from a life of sin and remembering him leads to life. Isaiah 55 tells us, seek the Lord. Remember your creator, perhaps, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. Let them remember their creator and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon We remember our creator because even when we forget him, he does not forget us. The thief on the cross recognized, recalled, and perhaps 
remembered somehow who Jesus was. And he asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' reply was, today you'll be with me in paradise. Despite that thief's life, despite whatever he had done to deserve death, Jesus remembered him and he will remember us too. We also remember our creator because he has created and given us many good things. Our creator came not as a thief, but in order that we may have life and life in all its fullness. So let us rejoice and responsibly savour all the pleasures God has given us in a God-honouring way. We remember our creator because he is with us in this life. Jesus is, of course, the good shepherd who has not only walked through the valley of the shadow of death ahead of us, but he now walks with us as we walk that path. He lies us down in green pastures and prepares a table for us. We remember our creator because he's the source of wisdom in this life. Again, in Psalm 90, Moses reflects through the whole psalm on the hardships and relative brevity of our life. And he prays, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We also remember our creator because he is recreating us now. As we see and feel and live in the apparent meaningless of our life under the sun. We must remember that our dilapidated, decaying house is being remade. C.S. Lewis writes, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's, he's getting the drains right and stopping those leaks in the roof and so on. You know those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, hurts abominably. And it doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is, he's building quite a different house to the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Finally, we remember our creator who will give us new eternal bodies to replace our passing away bodies. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, excuse me, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in the tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed. Instead, with our heavenly dwelling. So what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, to conclude, what is the point of life? Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone would get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of, so that then they would know it's not the answer. And the teacher, he had it all. He had fame, riches, power, wisdom, great works, pleasures, relationships. And he too knew that they were not the answer to a life of meaning and purpose. As a book, Ecclesiastes matters to us today because we too need to look at our lives and ask the same questions of where we find meaning and purpose. It shows us all the false idols, dead ends and empty vessels of life under the sun. The teacher concludes that it's all meaningless, ultimately an insubstantial vapour that is passing away. And at the end of the day, nothing matters. So what is the point of life? Under heaven, in Christ, it is this. To know and trust Jesus. To be made more like him. To live as he calls us to live and then to be with him forever. Until we understand that nothing matters without him, we won't understand that everything matters because of him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the journey you have taken us on through the book of Ecclesiastes, showing us the fleeting meaninglessness of life without you. Heavenly Father, whatever age we are at, we also thank you for the journey that you have brought us on through our lives to this point. As we live in light of our own mortality, we pray that you would help us to remember our creator each and every day we live. Help us to number our days and give us your wisdom to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.